liberty lockdown please scan your barcode your liberty ain't gone but yeah it's on hold where did it come from and where did it go it requires a fight not tweeting from your phone don't need a king get him off the fucking throne if you're riding with the thought you've always got a home the virus is scared of will come and it'll go the government knows this don't get treated like a hoe Welcome to another episode of Liberty Lockdown. This is your host, Clint Russell. I'm out of the closet. You guys now know my full first and last name. Hi. I've been anonymous up until now, but seeing as I was going to go on TimCast, I was like, hey, might as well let people know. Uh, Thaddeus Russell's my dad. Clint Russell's the name. Just kidding about that first part. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> I hope that you guys enjoyed my appearance on TimCast. I hope that you're here to check out what I'm about. I think that you guys will find, if you enjoyed that appearance, you will very much enjoy my show. I am a private money mortgage broker, essentially retired in my late 30s, and now full-time Liberty Ranter, trying to save this country from what I see as an inevitable dystopia. And I hope to do that by having on guests that force us to think, force us to believe again in uh, some of the founding principles from which this country was created. And last week I had on Maj Ture. I think he's a great example of that. And tonight I have on the great Dave Smith. Whew. Don't miss it. This guy is a legend. I cannot speak highly enough of him. So if you're listening, you probably already know that. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends over at earlyfruithempco.com. Every day more and more people are looking to CBD as a means for relief. But with high demand came a flooded market. With CBD everywhere and marketed for everything, it can be hard to find a product that works for you or one that works at all. Early Fruit Hemp CO is an online source of organic hemp and handcrafted CBD, grown and produced in small batches by American families and shipped right to your front door. You can find natural relief at earlyfruithempco.com. Their well-curated selection of craft CBD is sure to have what you're looking for. For two years now, they sought and served their community the highest quality, cleanest hemp flower and craft CBD extracts available, and they are excited to bring that same experience to you. As a special offer, if you go to earlyfruithempco.com, if you enter in the code LIBERTY at checkout, you'll get 10% off your first order. Don't miss this. If you've had any lingering ailments, tendonitis, things like that, that's what I had. I had jumper's knee. I used some uh, CBD oil, and it helped me tremendously. Again, go to earlyfruithempco.com and use the code LIBERTY at checkout for 10% off. Let's get into the show. <laughs> All rise for the honorable Dave Smith. I'm sure you've gotten that one before, but uh, welcome aboard the future president of the United States, Mr. Dave Smith. Thank you, sir. Thank you very much. <laughs> I, I don't know about all that, but I, I appreciate it. That was a good intro. <laughs> um, so first off, I wanted to, to ask if you have, have you studied how Ron Paul was able to get people to care about the Federal Reserve? Because I, as you know, I was just on Tim Pool a couple of days ago. I was, I had just finished re-listening to, um, what's it called? I'm blanking. The, uh, G. Edward Griffin book, uh, Creature from Jekyll oh, Island. Uh, yes, Creature, uh, Creature from Jekyll Island. Right, yeah. right. Yes. So, so I, w I, I had this long flight to get out there. I, I 
have this thing pumped into me and I walk in there and I'm like, I am on a mission from God to tell people that the federal reserve is the reason that everything is fucked up basically is like how, how I went about it. And it just made me think like, how is it that Ron Paul did that? Do you know? Yeah, that's no, I I mean, I don't know if I have a good, easy answer for you. I'll tell you that a, a couple things. Okay. So I know when I was on Tim pool last time, I forget exactly how it happened, but like we talked about the Federal Reserve a little bit. And then afterward, like the the guys, we recorded like a bonus episode (laughs) just talking about the Federal Reserve because they were so into it, so interested. And like we just we we did like another half hour, maybe or something like that, just talking about the Federal Reserve. Also, I'll tell you that I know I'm pretty sure it was both Tom Woods and Bob Murphy were advising Ron Paul. Uh, this is an interesting little tidbit in uh, libertarian history. Um, and, and they'll admit this publicly, so it's not like I'm outing them or anything, but they were advising Ron Paul not to talk about the Federal Reserve so much in 2008 because oh they God. were just like, look, no one's going to care. Like, it's, we know this is like, it's so important. But if you want to really rally people, you know, talk about the wars and the war on drugs and these other things, but the Federal Reserve, I mean, who could, how would you possibly get 20 year olds? Like, you know, at the time, understandably at the time, it was like, yeah, you're going to have 20 year olds chanting and the Fed at your, your rallies. Come on. I mean, that's <laughs> not going to happen. And Ron Paul, I really think the whole story is this, right? Ron Paul, he is just, this is, it's the same thing with Donald Trump, right? Not that they're the same at all. But the, the thing that's similar about the two of them is that what you see is what you get. And I'll, t- I'll tell you this, at, when I met Ron Paul and I, when I did the Liberty Report and I spoke to him, I had a conversation with him for about an hour before we recorded and then we re- recorded the show. And then I talked to him in his office afterward, him and, and Daniel McAdams for maybe a a little over an hour after the show and you talk to the guy and he is the guy like you, you know, if, if there's somebody who's like, Hey, I'm a huge fan of Ron Paul, but I've never met him. You have met him. Mm-hmm. That's him. There's right. no difference between that. And he said to me, I remember at one point we talked about a whole lot of different things. And at one point he said, he was like, you know, I'd have all these people around me when I was running for president and they'd, they'd be like, listen, in the debate, you got to say this or you got to say that or you got to do it like this. And if someone says this, then say this back to them. And he goes, ah, this is all just weird to me. He goes, I just I understand blowback. So I'm going to go tell people about blowback. Yeah. And I understand the economy. So I'm going to go tell people about the economy. And he, I think, had no you know, like strategy or this is, it was just like, I'm going to tell the truth. That was the strategy. And the truth is that the federal reserve is like the most important thing to talk about. So he told that story. And I know for me, as someone on the other side of that, listening to it, when he was speaking about the federal reserve, it made me go like, wow, that's quite a scheme. It was like there, the, I remember actually feeling like when he first when I first heard about the Federal Reserve, which was from Ron Paul, I remember thinking that can't possibly be how it actually works. <laughs> and and then I was just inspired to do a bunch of research on it. And then you find out like, wow, that is really how it actually works. <laughs> so I think we you know, I, I remember in when I was debating uh, uh, the former 
disgraced chair of the Libertarian Party, Nicholas Sarwak, at the Soho Forum, he told me at one point that nobody's really going to care about the Federal Reserve, which kind of made sense for Tom Woods and Bob Murphy to say in 2007. Right. But it made no sense for a libertarian to be saying in 2018 or whatever year it was. I think it was 2018 when we debated. But it's like, you know what? If if you think people don't care about the Federal Reserve, well, then it's our job to make them care about mm -hmm. the Federal Reserve and to explain to them why they do care about it. So that's I'm glad you did that. I saw I haven't been able to watch your full episode yet, but I'm excited. I'm so happy you were on that show. And I, I, I saw a couple of the clips where you were talking about the Federal Reserve. And I was like, yeah, dude, that was awesome. <laughs> so I'm glad you focused on that. Well, I, I appreciate it, man. And um, yeah, the first hour I'm sitting there like because I've never talked to hundreds of thousands of people or a million people or however many it, it ends up being ultimately. So first hour I'm sitting there like, all right, Tim's going to throw me the mic at some point and be like, Clint, tell us some <laughs> stuff. And then I realized about an hour in, like, oh, they're never going to come to me. Like, this is, <laughs> this is like, whoever's got the most confidence in their take, just scream it into the microphone. And, and so, like, from, I, I wouldn't say you need to watch the whole thing, but from minute 60 to minute 90, I am on fire. And I am just right. lighting the Federal Reserve on fire. So, uh, in, in Minecraft, don't come knocking on my door, feds. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, it's... I think that the reason that it's so, particularly for me, the reason it's such a compelling issue is because as someone who's got a real significant economic background as a private money mortgage broker, I, I truly understand this. Like I, it's not, this is, there's no performativeness to this. It's like, I, I want people to feel it in their bones that they are being robbed blind and it has been happening for over a hundred years and it's not going to stop unless we stop it. And, and it's just, it's just so mind numbing and mind blowing to me that you know, people, people understand, like people, ex they accept the fact that over time, your money, your, your hard earned savings after you're taxed and you work your, your fingers to the bone. And at the end of the day, 30 years from now, that money that you earned 30 years ago is going to be worth half at best. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, it doesn't have to be this way. And I just, and, that I just, and that, that's taken as normal, right? I like know. That's just, well, that's, and, and this is, you know, it's a, um, and I'm sure there's like an evolutionary reason for this, but that is the part of the human condition that whatever the status quo is, we adjust to it. Like that's the, you know, it's a survival thing, right? Like whatever your condition is, you will adjust to that and find a way to survive within that. And, and this is why people go, you know, well, how, how on earth did decent human beings allow slavery to persist or, you know, like all these horrible things throughout hi history. And it's because whatever the status quo is, we, you find a way to adjust to that and go, well, this is the way it is, you know? Mm -hmm. And that's, and so it's pretty easy to go like, oh yeah. I mean, you'll hear stories from your grandma or your great grandma about how, uh, a bottle of Coke used to cost a nickel and right. now it costs two bucks. Like, <laughs> oh, okay, whatever. That's just, that's the way it is. Prices rise. And you just take that as a given and, and move on. But that was one of the, one of the things that really, you know, like opened my eyes, but reading, uh, particularly Murray Rothbard's, what has government done to our money? Uh, the, the, uh, American great depression, um, and there's, there's a bunch of really great work on the topic of what the federal reserve has done to our money. But 
the yeah the idea that um the, the, it was really eye-opening to me when i when i would hear about the these free market economists uh and, and milton friedman i should give him credit for this too would write about how you know in the year um in the year 1910 let's say your grandmother would tell you about how much more expensive things were in her day mm. not how much cheaper they were Mm -hmm. That it actually prices had been falling and falling and falling. And then when you think about it like that, you go, well, hmm, why is it just a given that prices would rise and rise? Why wouldn't they fall and fall? And then if you if you realize that, well, our productive capacity has gotten better and better, right? Technology just improves and improves, then you would think it's cheaper to produce all of these things. So absent uh, fiat currency and government manipulation, you're actually gonna see prices fall. That's, that's the natural order of things absent this government inflation. Mm-hmm. Is that prices, assuming there's not, you know, like some other event, like, you know, you, if you're, if all of your factories are bombed or something like sure. that, you know, but, but if you are improving your productive uh, uh, capabilities, then yeah, prices are going to fall. It's gonna be cheaper and cheaper and easier to produce what the, the goods that people are buying. And we all just take it as a given that prices will rise and rise and rise. And, and something that's really interesting about this topic is that this is something that you can talk to any regular person about. Mm-hmm. Like someone who's completely outside the scope of libertarianism or even like really being that interested in politics, talk to anybody who's 50 or over about prices. They all know. They all like. I'm already. I'm. I'm not even forty yet. I'm, we're about the same age, almost mm-hmm. forty. And we kind of in in our you know, in our lifespan, you kind of live in the prices that were like like nineties prices right. feel about right to us. <laughs> yeah. And like, I don't really care. I'm really. My family was cheap, so I have this like knee jerk reaction against being cheap. Like I'm a very generous tipper. I don't care about spending money. I don't care. But I'll have these things like I went the other day, I was going to a show in Brooklyn that I did on a Sunday with Robbie the Fire. Great, great show, by the way. Thanks everyone who came out. Uh, And I I went to grab a burger before and I I grabbed a burger, uh, a burger, fries and a soda. And it came out to $25. And I remember just as I'm getting that and I was like, Man, I, you know, I don't care, but you're like, man, 25, a burger, fries, and a soda is $25 now. Like, that's crazy. That's as a, as a 90s, you know, kid, you're like 10. Yeah, that is really nuts that that's what things cost now. And when you talk to someone who's like, when I've talked to like my in laws, like my mother in law and father in law, they're like, 10, it should have been three. You know what I mean? And like, so you, it's this interesting thing that where you can talk to people and go, yeah, yeah, no, this is not just a given that your money has to lose value over every single year. Like that's not just a given. That's because someone's taken that value off the top from Mm -hmm. you. And of course the other thing, and this is why people have to read the American Great Depression by Murray Rothbard and and a whole bunch of other stuff on, uh, you know, Mises and all that about the, the business cycle is that it's not just that, but it's also that while they're taking a little off the top constantly, they're also causing the boom bust cycle. And that's mm-hmm. the most important thing. And that's that all these busts that you everyone is just takes for granted. It's like, yeah, every 12 years, the economy crashes. Well, why is that? Why is that a given? Why is it that not one sector, you know, that, okay, there might be something where like one sector in the economy has some problems and that, but why does the whole economy go down every decade or so? 
And that's, and, and of course, only the Austrians have an answer for that. And the answer is that it's all of the, the, the money and credit that's poured into the system, which is basically like you living off of energy drinks rather than eating food. And then at a certain point, you got to crash because yep. you have to, that, that's just what's going to happen. So those, that, that, there's a compelling message there to like talk to regular people about. I agree. Yeah. And uh, it's funny because I, I remember talking to my grandma about this and um, I grew up in Southern California. So did she. And she was telling me that they used to live in Pacific Beach, which is this very nice you know, town. And it's kind of a college town, but it's a nice town in Southern California. And she's like, she's like, yeah, we we rented, couldn't afford the houses back then. They were like 10, 15 grand. And I was like, I was like, Grandma, those houses are all worth like two million now. You should have bought as many as you could get your hands on. Yeah. And she's like, we couldn't. We couldn't possibly have afforded it. And it's just it's just. It gives you such an, a, an appreciation for the unbelievable inflation that we've experienced. And, and what, I, what I was sought out to do on the Tim Pool Show was I really wanted to hammer home that all of your discontent about what you're experiencing in your life is real, but you need to understand the why. If you don't understand the why, you're going to get mad at the wrong people. And, and that's what I'm trying to, trying to reach people with is like, look, I, I understand why someone in their in their late 20s that can't afford to get married, have kids, buy a house, do anything, basically. They're just paycheck to paycheck, just surviving. And that basically lasts through your 30s for many people. And like maybe at that point, you might be able to get your first home. And And this is all a product of interest rate manipulation by the Federal Reserve that has driven, I mean, not just not just that, also the printing, but those two things in tandem are really ultimately 95% of the reason that housing is out of reach for young people now. And it doesn't have to be this way. And it's just yeah. like, I just wish, I just wish we could reach into their hearts. And because if we, the reason I'm so concerned about this, if we do not explain it now, you will likely have a Marxist revolution in our lifetime where they right. think that this is a product of capitalism. And you and I both know it's not. Right. And so it's right. And so it's it's kind of like the answer that that solves the problems that both the left and the right are facing. Right. True. So you'll have these people on the right um, who, in my opinion, correctly look at our society and say, look, man, this is you, you know, they'll they'll put it in their own right wing terms, but they'll say, look, there's all of this kind of degeneracy everywhere. And like, there's no like, we don't have a society based around families and values and all of these things that are actually sustainable and moral and can, you know, pass on something good to the next generation. But the problem is that if you don't understand economics, then like you're missing such a key component of why that's happened. Not to say that it's the whole thing, not to say that there's not a cultural component, but it's like, okay, but walk me through this realistically. What, how is your average young man who's like, you know, 25, how's he, what prospects does he have to start a family? You know, what does he have? Like he, he, maybe he has, you know, six figures in, in college debt. Uh, maybe not. You know, maybe he doesn't, and then he doesn't have that much of a prospect of having a great job usually in our system. So it's it's one or the other, right? Either he's got a hundred G's in debt to, for student loans, or he's just like kind of got like a blue collar job and doesn't have that debt over his head. Either way, he's in effect making I don't know what does he work at Starbucks or he's got some trade job or something. He's making 60, 70 K a year. It's like, okay, well, a good house in a good school district is 400, $500,000. How the hell is he going to buy that? 
You know, right. like what, how's he getting that? How's, how's he going to buy that and then still have enough left over to like provide for a wife and send his kid to good colleges and have pay, you know, good health insurance. I mean, dude, dude, I pay fucking like damn near 30 G's a year for health insurance for my family. Okay. And it's not great. It's really not even that good. At the end of the day, like my, my wife, my wife got a burn on her hand. Uh, it was a year and a half ago and we had to go to the hospital and, you know, like I'll pay like 30 G's a year for, for health insurance. And then she goes to the hospital and they're like, oh yeah, that's $1,800. And you're just like, but dude, but I like, what am I paying for, man? Like, what is this? Like, wait, I still owe you all this money. And they're like, so while, while my wife's hands like bandaged up and we're leaving and they're like, sir, we need to talk about your bill. You're like, all right, here's the call. You know, how does some, now I'm, I'm fortunate enough that I make good money and stuff. And like, that's okay. But like for your average, you know, kid, how, you know, and when I say kid, I mean, you know, ready to 25, what would normally be ready to get married and all of that. How are they supposed to do that? The, the fact that all of these prices are so inflated is what's keeping young men from being able to mm -hmm. settle down and have a family and live the normal life that most people would. And then on the left side of it, you know, you look at these like Antifa types and all of these guys who are, you know, look, I'll, I'll be honest, I'm my, my gut impulse is to be somewhat disgusted by, but I also try to understand that it's like these, these kids, a lot of them are come are products of the college, you know, industry. And they're coming out with nothing but debt with no prospects of a family or a reasonable future or a, a, a normal life. And they're furious at capitalism. Yep. And so all of them, and then, and then the thing is like, like you were saying before, like the right wing populist types are also blaming capitalism. And so they're all furious at capitalism. And now the debate becomes, do we need neo-fascism or neo-Marxism? But that is all wrong and so <laughs> dangerously wrong. And, right. and the truth is that what we need to look at is what has at what has driven these prices so high? What has made a normal life so out of reach? Why is it that my grandfather, who grew up in a much poorer society, I mean, a much in terms of the productive capacity, I mean, just like a, not a, a shadow of what we have right. today. But it was completely within reach to afford a home, healthcare, send your kids to school, but have a couple cars, play poker on the weekends, you know, like all this stuff. Um, what is it that that changed all of that? And that's government getting involved in all of these different industries. And it's the overregulation, but it's it's particularly the Federal Reserve and the creation of money um, that that has really driven the prices through the roof. And it's 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 tragic. You know, yes. and our job is to connect that policy to the real life implications of that. Like, it's not just like, oh, we print some money and so the housing prices go up. Like, no, our job is to tell the story of how now this real person can afford a home for their family because these criminal bankers in collusion with the government that created all of this money. And mm -hmm. that's 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 our job. Yeah. And, and that's that's the point I kind of made. I was like. You know, the, the Marxists think that it's greed, corporate greed, and the right wing thinks that it's immigration and globalization of the economy. <laughs> right. You know, like, uh, uh, do those have some factor in this? Of course, but they're actually nothing truly new. I mean, globalization is, but immigration is not. You've always had yeah. immigration. So it's if we do not succeed in explaining this 
in a way that is compelling, I think that we will end up in a really dystopic nightmare of a future. Um, pivoting quickly to have you have you talked to to Ron about potentially running? I'm just curious. Today's episode is also brought to you by our friends over at Run Your Mouth Coffee. Run Your Mouth Coffee is where delicious coffee meets uncensored speech. If you like this show, you like uncensored speech, and you probably like coffee. Put it together. This ain't, this ain't rocket science. The co-founders are libertarians who paired their love of fresh roasted coffee with a healthy hatred of censorship. Men after my own heart. Yeah. Two Liberty podcasters, John Odermatt, you know him, you love him from Lines of Liberty, and Ben Panji from Homesteads and Homeschools. So you get to both get your caffeine fix and you get to support people in the libertarian movement. How can you beat that? You can't. The coffee beans are sourced from around the world and roasted to order in the U.S., so you receive your fresh roasted coffee at its peak flavor. If you're feeling rebellious, check out their Rebellion Beans. They are aged for 30 days in a bourbon barrel, then roasted to order. If you use promo code LOCKDOWN at checkout, you'll get 10% off and free shipping. Go to RYM, that's like run your mouth, RYMCoffee.com. Run Your Mouth Coffee has the coffee game on lockdown. Again, use promo code LOCKDOWN at RYMCoffee.com. Let's get back in the show. No, 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 no. I haven't. I have not talked to, to Ron Paul about it. I've, uh, I, I really haven't. Um, I mean, I know Jeff Dice knows, you know, that I've, I've got some plans in the works, um, but I haven't, you know, I haven't, I haven't officially, like, I haven't talked to too many people at the Mises Institute, um, but I will, if, if I do decide to, to do that, I will, I will talk to Lou Rockwell and Ron Paul and, Please, and all yes. those guys. Yeah. I'd, I'd want their, I'd want their blessing. Before, that, that's exactly before I what I was going to say, man. His endorsement would go a long way. Not that, not that I, I'm not sure that you need it at this point, but regardless, it would go a long way for the people that maybe aren't familiar yet that kind of gave up on the LP over the past decade as it became whatever the hell it was over the past decade. And then they can see like, oh, it's back. Like, here we go again. Yeah. Um, yeah. So let, let's hope. I, I wanted to ask you a little bit about El, Sab El Salvador. Have you uh, followed that at all about how they are making it um, basically legal tender Bitcoin in El Salvador? Yeah, I've, I, I mean, I'm... I'm far from like an expert on the subject or anything like that. But I, I did think that was very interesting. Um, I, I saw some like libertarians who were taking the the line that they're like, well, it's still legal, legal tender. And this is forcing people, you know, to, to take Bitcoin. And I'm like, yeah, OK. But like, I mean, OK, if we went back to the gold standard, that would still be legal tender. Also, it's still right. much, you know, it's, it's still a very preferable situation to have something that is not government fiat, you know, as as the, the legal tender. So I think that's very encouraging. I am. I know I get a lot of shit from the Bitcoin community for not talking about it more and not that but as i I've said for you yeah <laughs> people, yeah well, people go why doesn't dave talk about bitcoin more and i'm like hey, it's, that's him dude don't yell at you me get, you get shit uh via through proxy yeah i do <laughs> listen <laughs> i will say this i am all for the repealing of all legal tender laws that I, I would love that and to give every cryptocurrency a real shot at competing with with government uh, uh currency but short of that i would prefer anything anything that is a limited uh uh currency yeah. to government fiat currency so whether that's a gold standard or a silver standard or some type of crypto standard where there is some limitation on how it's mined or or anything like that i think is highly preferable anything that that locks down the power of government or can compete with government currency 
I'm all for it. I support that. Like the stuff I, I just haven't done. And I have, I, I really do. I, I've said this before, but I have a couple episodes that I'm going to do in the near future crypto related, nice. but I just, I specialize in other areas. Like that's just not the shit. That's my specialty, but I'm all for you guys. I love you guys. And for all the Bitcoin people who are like, why aren't you talking about the only thing that's going to work? And none of what you're talking about matters. Cause this is going to work. Well, if none of what I'm talking about matters, then it doesn't matter if I talk about this either. Right? So, okay. If Bitcoin's going to change the world, then go change the world. And I'm all for you. I cheer you on. And you're all going to be billionaires on boats, you know, whatever. And and one of you guys throw me a lifeline. <laughs> exactly. Yes. That's that's what I always tell them. I'm like, look, we all have our fortes, you know. Like, if this isn't in his wheelhouse, let it be your, let it be yours. Like, fill that void if you if you see yeah. it as a void. Um, but but I I don't actually want to so much get into the weeds about Bitcoin itself or even the El Salvador situation. What I find most compelling about this is that I, the way I view this, this is the first time in my lifetime that we have nations competing for freedom-oriented people to immigrate to them. And I think yeah. that's a trend that's really important because, well, you and I both obviously hope for the best for the United States. Let's, let's be honest, if we fail and this country does fall apart, it would be nice to have some options. And, and this is the first time in my life that I have seen you know, what used to be relato- relatively dictator-like nations. El Salvador was at, you know, five years ago was the murder capital of the world. And now all of a sudden they are, you know, making it that Bitcoin is legal tender and they're trying to, and if you spend three Bitcoin, you can get permanent residency. And it's like, this is, this is a trend that is truly uh, beneficial for people that believe that the, you know, the collapsitarian types that believe that the collapse is inevitable and and I'm just curious, do you think that that's a trend that, that persists or do you think that the American government looks at it and they say, we, we can't even allow this to happen? Because if we have if if the, all of the people that are productive and freedom oriented in this country start to immigrate to these other countries, that'll that'll undermine our U.S. dollar hegemony. What do you how do you yeah. see that playing out? Potentially? Well, I don't I don't think the U.S. government has a choice. And I think this is something that the that that people here have to uh, um, come to grips with. You know, we've had this kind of empire mentality, and I think it's existed since really since the end of the Second World War, um, because we won the big world war and then we dropped a nuclear bomb and it, it kind of built and built. And then really, after the fall of the Soviet Union, the mentality was like, well, we can do whatever we want because we are the world superpower. And even today, you know, I, I had an episode uh, a few weeks ago where I was talking about the, the, um, the, the, the relationship with China mm-hmm. and how much I see even all right-wingers and left-wingers and even some libertarians just have this empire mentality, you know? Um, it'll be like, well, look what they did to the people of Taiwan. We can't let them do that. It's like, well, well can what? we stop them? <laughs> like, wh- who do you think you are? Right. You know? It's, it's, it's almost like if you like just on a human level, if you were to like look outside your front door and you saw some like, I don't know, like Shaquille O'Neal size motherfucker, like saying something that you didn't like and you'd be like, I can't let him do that. Like, wouldn't you immediately be like, well, I don't know if you can stop him from doing that, right? Like, there's these these limits of reality sure. that might let you know, like, I don't know if you can do that. And so I would just uh, like, look at it like this, like, what if Nigeria, just to pick a random country, decided, 
we don't like the way Europe's acting. We can't let them do that anymore. Right. Well, right away, wouldn't you say, well, too bad. You don't have the power. Like exactly. You're not strong enough to stop Europe from doing anything. This is a continent and you are one impoverished country. So what are you going to do? Like, okay, so we're not in that situation exactly. But the idea that we've maintained this world empire for what is not that long, you know, since, since the Soviet Union fell since 1990 or whatever. Yeah, 30 years. Okay. Yeah, 30 years. We've maintained. Well, what have we had to do to maintain this? The richest country that's ever existed has had to go tens of trillions of dollars into debt, not to mention all of the unfunded liabilities, not to mention all of the fiat currency that's been printed. How much more do people think we can do? So I actually think that the, the reason why we haven't had war in Iran or North Korea or these places where so many of these hawks want is because we just can't do any more of this. And the reason why we're not going to be able to enforce our will on what other countries' monetary preferences are is because that's it. We are simply in a position where we cannot afford any more to, to boss everybody else in the world around because it actually costs real resources and humans and, and we just don't have that much of it. Yep. So I don't think the question so much is what the American government is going to allow other people to do, but what they're capable of stopping mm -hmm. others from doing. And I think we're, we're running up to the end of what they're capable of doing. Well, I think that's that's a hopeful note. Uh, my my only concern was it kind of along the lines of what Trump did with I think it was Guatemala, where he was like, he was like they wouldn't take back their MS-13 members. So I called him up and I said, hey, I got a half a billion dollars here that you know I'm gonna cancel the check on, and and that was enough to get them to take those people in. You yeah. know, who knows if that's even true? No, but look, we still have we still have some ability to put pressure on other countries. I mean, right. I don't mean to like downplay that completely. We're still you know a powerful country. But it's just the question is, how much can we sure. do? But yeah, yeah, so that that might be true. Who the hell knows what, what Trump says that? But may, he may have been able to bully them into taking some MS-13 back. Right. Well, I mean, if you have the, the printing press of the, you know, reserve currency of the world, you should be able to wield that in some way that uh, that gets people to do what you want. Um, uh, what What makes me so sad about it is, as you were describing it, I was just thinking to myself, you know, you said it's been 30 years um, of us maintaining this this global monopoly on force or whatever. And what makes me so sad about it is when Russia fell, we didn't have to do that. You know, like we didn't have to continue to control the trade lines. And but like, what is there is there really a necessity for a, a singular global hegemon? Like, do, oh, no. Of, of course not. And this is the, the game that they try to play. Like this is this is kind of now now that like the neocons have been completely discredited and people are basically against the kind of empire. Thank um, God. Well, they'll go. But but the, the game that they try to play now is like, well, what do you want? You want it to be us or you want it to be China? Right. You know, I mean, if it's not us, it's going to be someone else. Right. And that's a complete bullshit, false choice. Like, first off, the, the Chinese people, I, I People don't understand how much poorer of a country China is than us. Mm -hmm. I mean, China is a country where, you know, there are certain cities where there are just millions of people living out on the street. Not like you think we have a bad homeless problem in like San Francisco or, or, or L.A. or something. I mean, you're talking about like just you have tens of millions of people living in poverty that are homeless. People here aren't living it. You know, mm -hmm. they're, they're they're poor compared to us. 
they can't afford a world a world empire we can't even afford a world empire you know like we're we're we have to spend ourselves in, into you know tens of trillions of dollars of debt hundreds of trillions if you count the unfunded liabilities in order to do this um, so there's no there's no debate between who's gonna be the world empire. The only ones in today's you know I- I advanced technological societies who could even think about this is us, and even we can't afford it. Right. But no, the real you know me and Scott Horton have talked a bunch about this, like uh, in phone calls, in uh, late night drunk phone calls. Uh, that um, that you go you know the counterfactual is like Ron Paul wins in 1988 somehow wins the presidency in 1988 running on the LP ticket. And then he is the president as the Soviet Union collapses. Can you imagine? And then you get literally what what the smart conservative right wingers wanted, what Pat Buchanan and, and, and Ron Paul and, you know, like the, 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 you know, libertarian right wingers wanted, which is that just goes, OK, so that's it. So now we dissolve the whole world empire that was justified by the Soviet Union. And now we can just go back to being a normal country, city on a hill, a republic, not an empire. And that and that was the perfect time to do it. There was no need to go through, you know, to pretend that the Soviet Union had to be fought in every theater was one thing, which was bullshit. But then when the Soviet Union collapses to pretend, well, Saddam Hussein <laughs> has to be. I mean, it's just so absurd. Like, it's all so stupid. Like, no, of course, we didn't have to get into that conflict and this conflict and the next one. It's all just ridiculous. Yeah. And so we could have very easily just instead of becoming the world superpower over the last 30 years, just said, like, no, we're not going to do that. We're just going to be a normal country. We'd be far richer, far freer and far safer if uh, if we had done that. And we'd be a much more powerful force on this planet, yes. which is the ironic part. The whole reason we we implemented our will is because we wanted to show how tough we were. And what did we do? What did we get from that other than to show that what a paper tiger we are now? Yeah. You know, and it's just devastating. Uh, so I would be remiss if I didn't ask you, because as a uh, you know founding member of Tower Gang, these guys are all all pissed <laughs> at me for. Uh, not asking you about the shit posting or your request for us to limit our shit posting. I realize you have clarified you are mo- most concerned with the messaging from you know official Libertarian Party accounts being on message, and I completely respect that. I- I'm curious though, after you talk to uh, Michael Heiss, if you if you have changed your perspective at all given the um, the uptick in interactions that they were receiving. Do do you think that there's any merit to it? Is it is it too dangerous a line to to walk? What do you think? In New Hampshire, you mean specifically, well, or or more broadly, because they were all going hard. You know, they were all going yeah, hard in the paint. Yeah. Well, look, man. Like, I'm not trying to be. Look, I, I, who am I to tell anybody <laughs> to watch their mouth? You know what I mean? But I just say, I, I'll say it like this: is that when I say shit posting, maybe I'm not being like specific enough. But when there there are things where people, if the image of us is that we. Let, well, let me say like this shit. Let me say, I get completely just ruthlessly mocking the kind of corporate press, statist, established guidelines about what's allowed to be said and what's not allowed to be said. And I think there can be real value in that. And I think trolling and mocking and shit posting can be very effective and and very um can be really beneficial when mm-hmm. it's done the right way. I do think 
that if there are these like at a certain point where we are now, where the Mises caucus and the Libertarian Party is become the dominant force uh, is, is really about to kind of gain control of the Libertarian Party. Mm-hmm. And there are these accusations where, you know, the, the accusations that, you know, you're racist or sexist or this or something like that. I think that um, if if you're arguing with some gay dude and you call him a fag or you're arguing with some black dude and you call him the N word or something like that, I go, I think that's really not helpful. Like, I, I think that you're now you're just being a dick and you're not being what I really want to be about anyway. And and there's a very big difference. I know people be like, oh, I'm on Legion of Skanks and this and that. But there's a big difference between like doing like comedy that's making fun of all of this shit and actually calling someone that to their face and i I just or not to their face but online i don't know there's just things like that that i wish i think i think it would be more helpful if we stopped doing that i don't control what other people do we're we're free men you know what i mean (laughs) you people can do what they do i'm just giving my advice on that i don't think it's good there are there are really really dark jokes that i've laughed at you know, and been like, yeah, okay. But I, but I also can understand why other people look at that. You know, you have to understand this is like the shit posting dichotomy where there are, there are other people who don't get it, who look at that and think, wow, you must be like the most evil person ever (laughs) to be posting that. And it's like, they're not in on the joke. It's a tough situation, you know, like in, in the comedy world, when people, tune into Legion of Skanks or when people walk into a nightclub to see stand-up comedy, they're kind of coming for this. They get it. When it's on Twitter, a lot of people are like, whoa, what is happening? <laughs> and, and and some of those people, right, are like completely phony, bitch, oh, yeah, yeah. loser brigade types who are like, oh, I'm going to use this to prove you're racist and, and fuck all those guys. But some of them are just decent people who just don't share our sensibilities right. and are like, whoa, what did you mean by that? It's a- and so I, I, I understand those people. Now, just to the other part of it, I do not think that official blue check mark state libertarian party accounts when we have taken over the party and we are now running this political apparatus and we're going to let people know what we do with it. I absolutely think we should have bold, uncompromising libertarian messaging, but I think we should be really smart about that. And there's a way to be smart about bold libertarian messaging. And it it makes me upset when people don't do a good job at that, especially when we've been, you know, doing this whole thing now where you know that our enemies are going to be waiting for us to take over one of these things and go, ah, look, they they complained about the messaging and then they fucked up the messaging themselves. Mm -hmm. So we have to be really, really on point. So even when it's just a slightly different worded thing, and maybe I use the term shit posting a little bit too broadly, because I I know people were like, "Ah, dude, when they say, uh, you know, abolish all, you know, child labor laws or whatever, like that's not shit posting. That's a libertarian position. And you're like, okay, you know, my position is like, okay, yeah, you're right. That's a little bit different, but they should say that in a better way. Mm -hmm. They could have said that in a much better way. Like, you, you know, in, in the same way that like, if I were to just say legalize whites only 
signs outside of businesses. That is technically a libertarian <laughs> position. That is technically what we stand for, but that's still not the way to say it. You know right. what I mean? Like the, the way to say it isn't to make anyone who's against us think that that's the, the you know, that's world we, that yeah. we're going to create is going to be that is the point is to be like, oh, really, do we need the government to force kids to not work when they force them into public schools that are brainwashing them and doing all of this? And I just uh, with a lot of those things, I just think like we got to be really, really on point and say it in the best way possible. And I don't think that the, the uh, you know, state party of New Hampshire, even though, you know, I'm completely on their side, I fought tooth and nail for them to get everything back. And I'm so glad that they did, because yeah. and we, we could talk about that a little if you want to, because yeah. the whole thing, this whole dynamic in the Libertarian Party took a big turn over the last few days. But at the same time, I would encourage those guys to just be really smart with the messaging. Be bold. Be uncompromising. Believe me, it's me here. Like, listen to any one of my. I'm I'm not like holding back anything. Let's just be really smart and say it in the best way possible. That's, I think that's, that's all. Yeah, and uh, it's. I think it really comes down to uh, another debate, which is: Is it better to have controversy than to have none at all? Because like. We are we are kind of irrelevant on the national political scene. Like I agree with you. I, I grant you that yes, the Mises Caucus is taking over, and I'm thrilled with the progress we've made. But it's like, do we need a little Donald Trumpian fire starting controversy starting? Because as you know as well as I do, the media is going to treat us like shit no matter what. So if we say yes. some things that are aggressive, but we maintain libertarian principles, but it causes people to write op-eds about us and things like that yeah. i mean legion of skanks is a perfect example you guys have certainly added to your listenership by that fucking idiot that constantly writes <laughs> hit pieces about you the pizza delivery driver whatever his name is we've um, got a few of them but uh <laughs> uh so i'll say this so uh patrice o'neill that this was his like uh um he, he had a couple major pieces of advice that he always gave that i loved this one um, the, the late great Patrice O'Neill for people who don't know is one of like the greatest comedians who's ever lived. Maybe the um, best. And yeah, he's just incredible. A gene, a, a true genius. And what he used to say was, he goes, whatever you, you could say, you could talk about anything in the world, but whatever you say, make sure you believe it and you can defend it. Hmm. And then, then you're on solid ground. So no matter how, so yes, you want to say controversial things, but you want to say controversial things that you would be happy to defend no matter what type of, you know, like um, opposition you, you faced and yep. say it in the best way possible. So that's, that's my thing. It's not like I no look, I completely agree. So my beef and I, I'll say this, like I, you know, now that everything's settled again and, and whatever, I was really upset with some of the, the Twitter stuff that came out of New Hampshire. And this is once once they tried to steal the fucking party and have an illegal, you know, coup. Incredible. And then I, you know, I was all team New Hampshire, team Mises. And I fought with everything in my body, everything in my soul to get that back. I, I was, you know, messaging Spike and Justin and everybody to try to get them to speak out against it, too. And, and props to them because they both did. Um, and, and Karen Ann Harlos, who was just like a hero, an absolute yeah. hero in the, in the libertarian movement. And none of us should ever forget that that woman stuck her neck out on the line, not because she's Mises caucus, just to do the right thing. Yeah. Um, but before all of that happened, I was upset about it. And, and my thing was like, 
look, if you're the official state party and you're going to say something like, we've reversed our position on Guantanamo Bay and we think it should stay open yeah. so that we can send governors there. It's like, dude, you're not, no, like you're not Michael Malice. You're not like one of these uh, accounts. You're not like doing comedic art to make a bigger point. You are an official political party account. And is our position that Guantanamo Bay should stay open? No, no, it's not. Our position is that the people who opened Guantanamo Bay should be in prison and not in Guantanamo Bay, <laughs> in a regular prison, you know? Like and they should actually they have saw, a legitimate trial. <laughs> yes, they should have a lawyer and a judge and then be convicted and go to prison. So my thing to that is that it's like, it doesn't even add anything. It's like, you can say, as I've said on cable news several times and on many different big platforms, that we think that the lockdown governors should be arrested and charged with crimes against humanity. You that's just as bold a statement. Like you don't need to throw in. So that's my whole thing is like just make the statement that is it that's the most accurate, boldest statement you could make. But don't go over and oversell and then leave yourself in a position where if someone wants to argue that with you, then you have to go, well, no, I don't I mean I don't really believe that Guantanamo. <laughs> Just don't do that. And that was uh, yeah, Patrice's no, that... advice. Don't ever be in the position where you have to back down and admit something you said was wrong. Say just the truth. Say the most courageous version of the truth. Fine. Do all of that. Now, that being said, some of the other like private accounts and like people who I really love, I follow a lot of them on Twitter who do like the best libertarian shit posting, mm -hmm. I will say. I enjoy a lot of their work. So <laughs> I, you know, I don't know. I'm I, I'm trying my best to bridge this fucking divide where I gotta be like, look, I want to, I I want to get all of the people, right? There's like three missions to this whole thing. There's three like steps, right? This is how I see it. I want to get everyone who's not a libertarian to consider that libertarianism is the way to go. And as I've spent a, a years doing that, right? Then I wanna convince everyone who is a libertarian that they should join the libertarian party and be a part of what we're about to do. And then I wanna convince as many good libertarians in the libertarian party that we are the future and we can be the best movement for them, right? So that's, that's always been the case with me. So just on that last step for the good people in the party, I want to also be able to win a lot of them over. And a lot of them are turned off by this shit. And I want to just let them know that it's like, yeah, the people saying a lot of this shit, it's not like that they're these hateful, evil people. And a lot of times, then there's this other group, the fucking complete dishonest hack, awful, you know, what does Reed call them? The bitch, bitch cuck. cuck. Yeah, th those people, like, fuck them. But let's not treat everyone like they're them. Because there are some people who aren't them. And we should note, right, from the, this whole event in with the New Hampshire party, that a lot of people, a lot of really good people stood up for us because they saw what was going on was wrong. And those are the same people who are turned off by a lot of this messaging. And we should be able to reach them. We should be able to like talk to them too and 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 convince them to come on board with what we're doing. And, That's and you all. know, today's episode is also brought to you by our friends over at the Daily Job Hunt. 
I know many of you have already gone over and signed up. For those that are new listeners from TimCast, if you have not checked out the Daily Job Hunt, go to crash.co backslash daily and sign up for their once daily newsletter that gives you input on how to become a better applicant for that job of your dreams. If you are struggling to get ahead, if you are laid off via the lockdowns, if you're just basically in a nine to five that you feel like it's going nowhere, but you want to transition to that next level up. Go to crash.co backslash daily to sign up for the free daily newsletter. It's free. There's no harm in it. You go to crash.co backslash daily. All you do is enter your email address. They will send you a daily newsletter that gives you some information, inspiration, get you fired up on how to become a better applicant or to start that business of your dreams. Again, go to crash.co backslash daily to sign up. And last but not least, this episode is brought to you by my friend, Johnny Profita over at Peddling Fiction podcast. He's the voice and soul of so-called fiction, a lying politician's worst nightmare, a true Rothbardian radical, the destroyer of Keynesian economic fallacies, the inoculator of propaganda, and a breaker of ideological chains. Free your mind from state control by checking out my friend Johnny Profita over at Peddling Fiction Podcast. Just go to your podcatcher, iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, enter in Peddling Fiction, and it'll pop up. Hit that subscribe. You will not regret it. There's a two-minute clip from his show at the end of this. You will love it. Hang in there and check it out. That should also be uh, a lesson to the Meekox folks and the shit posters that not everybody that's in the old LP is bad. You know, there yeah. are there are really good people there that they may not understand our tact or our tenor or you know our delivery. But they are really good people, and they if yes. they can if they can come to our defense, then we should be there for them too. And I hope I hope that we can do that. Um, I think that's a really important you know message. And and I'm I'm glad that you clarified on some of this because I know a lot of the people were all bewildered, like a stand up comic doesn't want us to shit pose. What what are we supposed to do here? And it's like I I understood, but I just wanted to give you the opportunity to convey it. So I'm glad you did. Let's move yeah, on. No, listen, I don't fuck. I don't, I don't hate on anyone who like shit pose. Sometimes it's really right. funny, and no, I, I love know, it. I know. And, and and I'm like, I love all of you guys like you. I, I just feel like also to some degree, I feel like I don't have to like <laughs> like that whole crowd. It's like, come on, man, you know who I am. Like, I'm your guy. So I don't need to like really convince you that I'm your guy. If, if you can't support me for that reason, then like, OK, whatever. Like, I don't know. You're like, you, you know, I'm on your your side in this sure. whole thing. But. It's to your point that you just made that there are these other people who are really coming to our defense and I want them to know that we also hear what they're saying and, yeah. and that, you know, the, the truth is that if we're going to really do something, we want to create this big movement. That's mm -hmm. got to be our goal to get everybody who's on the right side of the major issues together on this. And when that happens, it's going to take all of this mm -hmm. it's going to take people who are you know posting the edgiest shit ever and then the most respectable people also saying well that shit poster is better than this war criminal you know right. and like all so we want to find a way to bring this all together but i gotta tell you i'm so encouraged by everything that's happened over the last week in the libertarian party so encouraged i, I mean this that. was like exactly I, I i couldn't have scripted it better I, I, I really couldn't have, you they, know, they took these, the mask off. And we didn't even have to force it. Yeah. But also in, in the negative and positive sense, Yeah, like the mask came off 
of the entire Libertarian Party. Mm. And we saw who were the truly corrupt, unscrupulous people and who were the ones who had some principles. Mm -hmm. And the truth is the vast majority had principles. And this is what I've been saying for a long time is that it's really not, it's not a 50-50 battle within the Libertarian Party that we could take over and, and, and win if we just get to 51%. No, no, it's like 90-10 maybe 95 five yeah it was it was the corrupt chair who's on his way out one way or the other he could be a man and resign tomorrow or he can stand re-election and get destroyed by angela mccardle in the next election that's his choice yep. and it was this dummy chair woman <laughs> who i kind of feel bad for and think was just in a bad position in new hampshire and then there there were some co-conspirators who don't even have the balls to publicly say that they were a part of this because they are so laughed out of the new hampshire party that they can't win against no one so oh, those are, are the people right who are gonna like they don't even have the guts the courage <laughs> the basic integrity to come out and say who they are and the role that they had in this whole process those people who stood up for them well what the the five people who call everyone Nazis in the party and, and three cowards on the LNC board and everyone else with courage and integrity, they spoke up against this. And, and look, it wasn't like the Mises caucus. It was Justin Amash, Spike Cohen, everybody, the, the major figures in this movement all said, no way, yep. no way we're going to be a part of this. Like, that's it. So now lines have been drawn. If you wanna, if you wanna uh, beat our movement, you're gonna have to out recruit us, outwork us, you know, out fundraise us, all of that. If you, if you think, well, we can't do any of that, I could lose to no one, and then just try to steal your shit. No, you're not stealing our shit. Back off. And and what a coward you are to get someone else thrown under the bus that you won't even step up. Someone here is seriously going to face criminal charges. This is no joke. They stole data, very personal data of people. They stole property. They've returned it now, but that doesn't matter. That's not the way the law works. You can't just steal things and then return it and go no harm, no foul. No, people are going to get in trouble over this. And if you'll just let other people go down and not step up, there are other co-conspirators, whoever they may be. I have no idea. But just hypothetically, if they lost to no one, <laughs> And then will not step up and admit that they were a part of this and will let others go down for them. Okay. If you want to defend that person, that is zero integrity, zero integrity as a man. I don't know how that person could be a woman, but as a man, I don't know how that person would look at themselves in the mirror and, and be able to, to like sleep at night. So that's, but look, the state of the party is that the vast majority of people were like, no, we're not going to do that. And that's why this didn't work. And, yep. and to me, that's very encouraging. I don't know how he's going to wake up tomorrow, strap on his sandals and go and chop down that tree in front of his house. That's, that's the real question. That seems like an oddly specific thing to do tomorrow. <laughs> I don't know, Clint, but maybe. I suppose that could be the situation. Anyway, I'll be up in New Hampshire uh, next week at, uh, at Porkfest. I, oh, hope nice. I, I hope I see whoever these people might be. Yeah, that would be amazing. Um, so let me, let me ask you a couple more questions real quick. Um, first off, do you, do, you have to, do you have to run to win? 
And the reason I ask that is because there's a lot of debate over whether or not, first off, we can. Second off, um, you know, if this system is salvageable, even if you were to get into power, um, is the we've we have basically shifted our our stance or uh, the way the way that I have gotten many true anarchists interested in in you potentially running is to say this is about messaging. It's not it's not so much about the election. That's how I, that's how I sell it to them. I'm not saying that's actually your belief. I'm I'm more or less asking you. What do you what do you actually envision from this? I mean, is it is it just about waking up the remnant? Is it just about getting, you know, five or ten percent of the country, or is it is it trying to actually get in there? Um, well, I you know, I, I think all of that's kind of a false choice. I mean, like, could we actually win? I mean, look for the Libertarian Party to win the presidency in the next election is a long shot for sure. And that, that doesn't matter how safe a candidate or how wild a candidate you run, no matter who you run, you could run anyone from, you know, Justin Amash or, or Gary Johnson or Vermin Supreme or like any one of them. And it's a long shot that they actually win. Um, like if I were to run and be in there, it's like, yeah, it, it would be a long shot, but, I think it's a risk. It's an it's uncomfortable to me that that is a legitimate risk. That yes, if if it, the more that uh, the the more gi uh, gigantic platforms that I could get on, and and if I were ever be face to face with the corporate press, like the real highest levels of it, or the other candidates, it's like yeah, I I will end up wrecking them, and that is a, a legitimate fear that I have to deal with, um, that that it could win. But that's not even the point. Like winning, not winning, that that's not really what it's about. It's just that my point is just that it's a false choice to say, are we trying to win, or are we trying to change people's minds, or any of that? What is winning really? That's the real question. What does it actually mean to win? Does it mean one person gets in there and gets compromised? And like, did the left win when Barack Obama won? Did the right win when Donald Trump won? Definitely not. No, they just got their people in there. Who won? Corporatism won, right. you know? So it's like, you have to almost rethink about like what winning really means. Mm -hmm. And to me, what winning really means is waking up millions of Americans to the true nature of our government, to the true nature of the warfare state, of the welfare state, of the Federal Reserve, of corporate welfare, of all the, just how corrupt this whole system is. That's to me what winning is. Mm -hmm. Now, it, it, in the process of what, it, you know, like this is what it's always so weird to me about this, like this false dichotomy. Like, do we wake up millions of people or do we try to win? Well, how exactly the fuck would I win without waking up millions of people? You know, like it's only <laughs> it's it's only a, a threat after I've woken up so many people. And that this is true for everyone, not just me, like any libertarian candidate. Sure. Um, they have no chance of winning unless they wake up millions of people. But that's the victory in itself to me. Mm -hmm. I don't believe that one man, no matter how great he is, is going to get into a position in government and fix everything. I think that's like the fairy tale 
that the statists believe, you know, mm. and we shouldn't be so stupid to believe that. But what we absolutely can believe is like, hey, everyone who's listening to this, who believes in human liberty, you were woken up at some point. And so why can't we do that for someone else and someone else and someone else? So my primary goal is to spread ideas, to spread a message, to try to lead to something where you can really, you know, on the biggest stages, the biggest platforms possible. And, and I know there are people out there who go like, oh, well, you can get on these big platforms already. You don't need the Libertarian Party, but there's something different when you're running for something. Mm -hmm. That's the, you know, Ron Paul, when he was running for president, woke up a lot more people than just when he was out there talking about things. And, and he's still talking and he's still saying all the right things, but he's not Incredible. waking as many people up as when he was running for president. So I think true. there's real value. There's real value in that. And that's the only reason why I'm considering it. Um, but I think, I think the goal first and foremost is to speak to the remnant. The goal first and foremost is to try to change the culture. You know, uh, uh, Thomas Paine wrote pamphlets. That was all he did. Write pamphlets and he changed the world. Mm -hmm. And like, I, I think that um, we, we can sometimes underrate, uh, underestimate the power of ideas. I agree. And, and, you know, I think that the beauty in it is that if you, I, I think the reason that the question get asked, gets asked so often is because oftentimes people feel like you have to make a decision of becoming more, a more polished political figure in order to possibly win. And I think that the reason that that choice is obviously stupid at this point is because you can, you can tell the most unbelievably harsh and brutal and beautiful truths and get elected. Donald Trump just did yeah. it. He, I mean, he didn't even always tell the truth, but he told people, um, you know, a lot, a lot more truth than I think people were accustomed to hearing, and and and, and just was uncompromising, and but and he told a lot of bullshit too. But yes, like, he did. Was just uncompromising, <laughs> and and gave a big middle finger, and never backed down. And right. like to me, I I look at it like if if you're in this like running as a candidate, and you're uh, especially like on a presidential level. And your your pitch is human liberty, like you're trying to say, like, you know, reduce government and, and allow people to, to have their individual liberty on, you know, across the board, you know, whether it's the warfare state or the welfare state or the militarization of the police or any of that stuff. Um, if you're, you know, going it, it's almost like the choice that's um, that that that's put forward to us is you know, the analogy I use is like, okay, you're six touchdowns down in the fourth quarter of a football game. And you're like, well, listen, do you want to like throw a Hail Mary? Or do you want to try to win by running the ball and just being safe? <laughs> and you're like, well, running the ball and being safe is not trying to win, right? That's right. guaranteed to lose. Now, there might be when I'm talking about the New Hampshire, you know, uh, Twitter account or something, <laughs> there might be some Hail Marys that I'm like, hey, I don't think these are the best Hail Marys to run. Right. You know, I'm, like I'm going, I think there's better Hail Mary plays that we could run than right. the one you guys are running right now. But then there's these other 
bitches who are trying to run the ball who are like how dare you take a hail mary and you're like no fuck you like you're guaranteeing we lose at least they're throwing the ball down the field you right, know what right, i mean right. like yeah. now i might argue with you hey i don't think you should run this hail mary route i think you should run this hail mary route but i at least respect that you're trying to run a hail mary but there should be no debate that our only option is to is to throw the ball down the field yeah like there is no other option here we are losing yeah and tell me americans were locked in their house for most of the last year and we should play respectable right. i mean screw that <laughs> screw that we I should agree. and i i promise you know anybody you know of, of your audience who's not you know if you're uh, not thrilled with me criticizing this Hail Mary or that Hail Mary, I promise you I will be throwing the ball down the field. That will never be the issue with me. <laughs> well, I think I think that should should put their uh, concerns at ease. Uh, and I, I never had any doubt because I know that's what got you here. And I don't think that you're silly enough to be like, no, no, I'm going to, you know, now I'm going to put on a suit and tie and I'm going to stop, you know, it's, it's just, <laughs> it's ridiculous. Uh, but uh, last last question to get you out of here, and and I don't know if this is uh, too politically hot a topic, but I'm just curious because there, I've seen some libertarians that I gen generally respect who have said that they don't like a, a whole litany of things that Ron DeSantis is doing as governor of Florida, and and I can understand kind of the knee jerk reaction to feel that way. However, when as you just described it, we were just locked in our fucking houses for a year. I'm not sure that I have it in me to look at a governor doing some things that, you know, normally I probably wouldn't love if it was, say, 1996. I would be like, whoa, yeah. what's going on here? But we are, we are fighting and losing a war here. And this guy's saying, okay, I'm going to ban XYZ, mass mandates, vaccine passports, all these things. Is that is that a net positive for liberty? What what do you where do you fall on this? Well, I think that uh, okay, so I think libertarians. I was just talking about this on my my most recent podcast, but I think libertarians get really goofy when they live in just the realm of their of our perfect philosophy, our mm -hmm. perfect non-aggression principle, Rothbardian and Capistan, mm -hmm. and and don't deal at all with real life. Right. And so, you know, it when, it, you know, the libertarians are very prone to making the perfect the enemy of the good. And and this is a real problem. I've, I've seen this before where there are the, these like libertarians who um, a, a couple of whom I will not name, but a couple of whom I used to listen to back in the day and be like, wow, that guy's really saying something. And now I listen to and I'm like, oh, my God. God, this is the cringiest shit I've ever heard in my life because they never advanced further than like, I believe in the non-aggression principle. Right. Let me explain the non-aggression principle. And it's like, okay, that's nice for a while and it's really good. And I like that stuff, but are you going to deal with the crises that Americans are actually facing today? Right. Because they're pretty major ones. Yeah. And if someone's on the right side of them to just down, you know, I see these, liber some libertarians I really like be like, Ron DeSantis is an authoritarian. Like, listen, okay. I understand what you're saying. And and there's there's a pure libertarian argument that well he did lock down for a month like uh, okay yes that is true. But then he ended it. Right. And and he could have easily not. Mm -hmm. Like no one would have said anything if Ron DeSantis had locked down for a year and he didn't. And the people of Florida 
had real freedom that people in the rest of the country didn't have because of this one guy. And if you can't at least acknowledge that, you lose all credibility in, in terms of like, oh, I really believe in freedom. Okay, well, the people in Florida really had freedom that all of the, that, that people where I live, where my family lives, didn't have mm -hmm. because of this governor. Now, Okay, after that, you can criticize him for whatever you want to, but d don't not acknowledge that. If you don't acknowledge that, you're not, you, you're going to lose all credibility in terms of the real world. You know, I've heard these libertarians before who are like, kind of like, you, you know, and I'm an ANCAP, but they'll be like, kind of like, well, minarchy is no better than totalitarianism because it's blah, blah, blah. It, you're like, no, actually, it is a lot better. Actually, it's, it's a lot better. <laughs> It's really way, way better. <laughs> yeah, Actually, North Korea or yes. 1990s America? Where, where would you yes. rather live? Where would, yeah. Oh, you have a choice. Oh, okay. Oh. And you go, well, they're all statist, you know? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, guess what? You're going to be put on a plane tomorrow and you're going to either live in North Korea as an average citizen or Switzerland as an average citizen tomorrow. Do you care? Yeah, you really do care. Yeah, yeah. You you're you dropping can. to your knees and begging that you're in one, not the other. So that doesn't mean that Switzerland shouldn't be more free, right. but- it does mean that there's a difference. And likewise, to take it a step further, I have no problem with staking out the true moral position on any issue. But when you're talking about banning critical race theory or banning, you know, uh, COVID passports or, or, or one of these things, okay, I'm sure you can make a pure libertarian argument for why it shouldn't on private property be banned. But you also got to take a step back and understand the moment we're living in and go, someone put this, it, it to me like this, right? When the Bolshevik revolution was first starting in, uh, in the Soviet Union in the 19 teens, right? Mm -hmm. If the fucking authoritarian Russian government at the time had just decided that we're banning this, mm -hmm. we're putting this down by force, they would have violated some libertarian principles by doing that. Mm -hmm. They also would have saved tens of millions of lives. So I'm not saying you have to support it, but you do kind of have to look at the moment we're living in and say, okay, I'm going to pick and choose what battles I fight. And I'm going to meet, you know, in the words of a, of, of, of a, a very prominent libertarian who I have gained a lot of respect for over the last few days, maybe meet people where they're at mm -hmm. and understand what they're fighting against. Mm -hmm. And that it's like, yeah, the, I understand why people are a little bit willing to, you know, maybe not be perfect libertarians, but ultimately ensure their people more freedom. Yep. So, yeah. Now, by the way, that being said, I would not support Ron DeSantis for president. He is way his foreign policy is horrible. This all this stuff about criticizing Obama for not being pro-Israel enough and how we should, right. you know, the Iran deal was the worst thing ever. Yeah, there are lots of fair reasons to criticize him. But for libertarians to just be like, he's an authoritarian and not even recognize that he provided his people with more freedom than anyone else over this last year is just it's just goofy. Yeah. Well, I think the fact that he is he is so pro-Israel is hard evidence that he intends to run because, as you and I both know, you have to be pro-Israel to be the president of the United States. Um, so that that's evidence that he intends to run, and evidence that he will suck if he gets in there. Yes. Well, no, you're you're absolutely right. Um, and last thing I would say about it is that 
you know, if you're if you're going to hate a politician that gives you freedom while the federal government is ripping all of it away, how do you and, and, and mind you, it was an unpopular thing for him to do when he did it, to to lift the lockdowns, to ban mass mandates, to ban vaccine passports. He was dragged through the mud by the mainstream media and by fellow yep. politicians across this country. It took courage to do that. Now, he may have made a political calculation. I'm not going to say he didn't. He may not have done it just purely out of principle. I don't know if he did or not. But regardless, he risked something and he got his people more freedom in that moment. And if you're a libertarian and you care about freedom, I don't know how you expect other politicians to demonstrate that level of courage to give us some of our fucking rights back. It's nonsense. You are shooting yourself in the foot and then holding up a book about philosophy. It's like... It, this makes no sense. Just like, yeah. just stop. Anyway, yeah, no, you're, you're, you're absolutely <laughs> right. And listen, by the way, my assumption, my presumption is never that politicians act in good faith, honestly, mm-hmm. or anything like that. Yeah, I'm sure it was his calculation, but still you're absolutely right. It would have been in many ways politically easier for him to just keep the lockdowns going. Everyone, no one could have blamed him. He went and he was the odd man out. And and I don't know if we can really appreciate how much of a difference it made that Huge. one governor was willing to do that. And then we had this example on the books of a state in America that was like, oh, look, the outcomes are no worse, even better than some of the other states, even without the lockdowns and and the domino effect that that had. So uh, again, you can't like, if you're going to be a libertarian, it's like, well, what do you care about? That's the real question, right? Do you care about being like getting the most perfect score? Like if you test what I say I believe in, I score a 100 on the libertarianism score. Or do you care about real liberty in real human beings' lives? Because if you care about the latter rather than the former, you have to at least give some amount of credit to what he did. I have but to still criticize him all you want to Exa- after exactly. that. Just give him that credit first and then shit on him. Exactly. Fine. Exactly. Well, <laughs> you guys can catch us at Freedom Fest July 20th through the 24th. Dave will be hosting. I'll be on uh, Media Row. So if you guys want to meet us, it's a great opportunity to do it. Um, you can follow him at Comic Dave Smith on Twitter, I believe. And obviously, Legion of Skanks, part of the problem. Is there anything else you'd like to tell the people about? That's all, man. I can't wait for Freedom Fest. I hope to see a bunch of you guys up at Pork Fest as well. Absolutely. Thank you so much for coming on. It was a blast. Thank you, my brother. As always, if you leave a five-star review on iTunes, I will read it on the show, regardless of what it says, because I'm cool like that. And also because you're cool like that, because you just left me a five-star review. We got Jolly Roger 18 says, great show, plus, plus an episode request. Says, thank you for adding another great podcast to sped, spread the message of liberty. Any way you could do an episode about the Federal Reserve and go into more detail about how they're destroying the value of the dollar? You got it, bud. I will do that. I need to do that. Um, I, I get tons of requests for people from people to have me do solo episodes where I explain more about this stuff. So I promise I will get to that soon. Then we got TC Liberty 20 says, love it. Started listening due to Dave Smith, POTP, part of the problem. Now subscribe. Thank you, TC Liberty. I'm, I'm glad that uh, you enjoyed the appearance over there. And now you're over here. This is, this is how it works. It's a holistic, beautiful cycle. Then we got Holy Pokey says, we're not doomed. Recovering blue check, ironically freed in 2020 by the Liberty Report and POTP when my work travels force me to drive more than fly and consume podcasts. I sometimes feel the rot of your home state doesn't allow you to see the soft secession 
or succession of political dissident societies that are rising. Well, I actually, I agree with you. I can certainly be tainted by living in California. It is rough here, um, but I am not unaware of the incredible burgeoning of agorist and otherwise, you know, freedom-oriented societies that are kind of popping up under the scene. So I will try and focus on that a little bit more moving forward because uh, I agree. I need to be uh, aware and let people know that there is there is reason for hope amongst all of the craziness. Then we got Harry D. Peterson says, fire, straight fire. This, is, this and Free Man Beyond the Wall are my favorite podcasts. Pure, intelligent, libertarian mindset. Well, thank you, Harry D. Peterson. Then we got great, shoe, great show, uh, Rico's or Riku's Heartless says, I love your show, man. Keep spitting that hot libertarian heat. It's the only way I know how to do it, brother. So I'm going to keep doing it, Riku. Then we got Cheeky Prickster says, Great libertarian podcast. One of the best libertarian podcasts. Definitely in my regular regular rotation. If you like Pete Yonas, Dave Smith, Tom Woods, etc., you'll love this show as well. Extraordinarily high praise. Those are three of the best in the game, if not the best, to put me in their company. Means the world to me. Thank you so much. And then we got Deerhorn97 says, Love this show. Started listening after the Dave Smith episode and since then have loved this show as much as I love POTP. That is high praise. My goodness. Thank you so much. He says, and if you share this review on your show, follow at construction underscore of underscore no underscore authority on Instagram. And lastly, (laughs) I love this one. One star. I'm going to read it just to show that not everyone leaves five stars. I'm going to read this one. I'm not going to give his name though because he doesn't get any credit. Says... Very good at alienating fans. The host is very good at alienating his fan base on Twitter. Don't let him fool you. He isn't about unity at all. Actually, I am. I'm about uni- unity with people that aren't you. Fuck boy. Uh, he says, I found his podcast today and enjoyed what I heard. Found him on Twitter to follow and be a part of the community, but I cannot because he apparently blocked me without knowing or communicating with me. That's a shame. Still looking for a good libertarian post- podcaster. Shrug emoji. Well, bud, there's no chance in fucking hell. I blocked you without you saying something irritating and unnecessary towards me. So, you know, if you're going to pretend like I blocked you without knowing or communicating with you, that's complete nonsense. I don't do that to anybody. But, you know, thanks for checking out the show, fucko. We are approaching 250 five-star ratings on iTunes. If you guys leave one, leave your social media handle. I'll shout it out. Get you some follows. Gets me some uh, help in the algos. I really appreciate it. We're approaching 250 reviews. I only started this show a year ago. It's mind-blowing, unbelievable craziness. Make sure you follow me on Twitter, at Liberty Pod. Instagram is Liberty Lockdown. And YouTube, if you want the video version of this, just enter in Liberty Lockdown and smash that subscribe button. Anyone claiming that America's economy is in decline is peddling fiction. And libertarians are better Democrats than the Democrats and better Republicans than the Republicans. A Republican president, a Republican-controlled Congress, presided over the biggest expansion of government up to that point in history. And what's going to happen when they realize that Social Security is nothing but a racist, sexist, ageist Ponzi scheme? I mean, how badly do you have to screw something up before we finally conclude that uh, maybe government can't solve this problem? The free market is the ultimate expression of democracy. I do the show two days a week. It's a free show. 
You sure you don't want to see some evidence to back up any of their claims before you get us into another war? Their entire existence is exploitative. Everything they eat, everything they drink, the roof over their heads. It was all paid for from theft at the threat of violence. Isn't it interesting that an education system run by the government somehow churns out a bunch of people who favor the government handling everything? That's the type of accounting that would get you thrown in prison if anybody else were to do it. But that's how the federal government operates. Black, white, Indian, Asian, rich, poor, short, tall, everybody benefits from freer markets. Libertarianism is principled, it's philosophically sound. In the arena of ideas, we cannot be defeated. This is the Peddling Fiction Podcast. The voice and soul of so-called fiction. Follow me on Twitter at Pedal Fiction. Download and subscribe. And no matter what happens, keep on peddling that so-called fiction. Peace. Big shout out to everybody that's been with me since Jump Street. Appreciate y'all. Lockdown, please scan your barcode Your liberty ain't gone, but yeah, it's on hold Where did it come from and where did it go? It requires a fight, not tweet from your phone Don't need a king, get him off the fucking throne If you're riding with the thought, you've always got a home The virus is scared of, will come and it'll go The government knows, just don't get treated like a hoe Like Nico and Shane, you're probably wondering what's happening Scared Hollywood left these lyrical feminine A typo with Luke might bring the nooses We all bite the bullet, I'm the king of the gooses Freckles and Brit, didn't know I could spit Knew I was a patriot, but now I'm the shit Peter Quinones, invite me on Which podcaster sends custom songs Part of the problem, now I stand with the people Dave showed the way, but I am unequal Lions of Liberty, now hear me roar Beat running up, but I got a bit more Robbie the Fire, always running his mouth But I made him a sandwich, now I'm man of the house No malice for Nick, but you're welcome to quit I went over BLM with the fire I spit Friends against government just call us fags Copy the Cairo, put mummies in the bag Liable opinions get thrown on the ground Silky's Mouton was the only sound Getting so hot must be air July Screaming in the mic and rip for 59 Miles to ratio that black guns matter Now all these lefties got crazy small bladders None of us wanted war but we're ready You know I be bopping and rock steady Liberty lockdown, please scan your barcode Your liberty ain't gone but yeah it's on hold Where did it come from and where did it go It requires a fight, not tweeting from your phone Don't need a king, get him off the fucking throne If you're riding with the thought, you've always got a home The virus is scared of, will come and it'll go The government knows, just don't get treated like a hoe